0: People always say, I don't know if I'd get through it. I think we would all get through it better than we expect. You don't have a choice. You do what you have to do. You do have a choice, though, on you know the next steps after that.
1: read your story Kevin cuz we didn't know each other at school. My immediate thought was how can I have this conversation respectfully? How can I honor you and who you are?
0: You know, I think one of the interesting shared things that we have is that we both show this need to share to like give something. And I mean obviously you've you've made a whole career out of that with your art and your coaching and you know so i mean the, a massive amount of giving is is at the center of what you're doing what do you think is at the heart of that mm. that impulse to to give because it's scary sometimes to bring up the loss that that Marina and i went through with losing Lulu and Leo but it i i need to talk about it yeah. i have that impulse to talk about it
1: and to me people have always said to me after i spent close to five years being my mom's primary caregiver, like dropped out of my life as a musician and a coach and moved home to a childhood bedroom, (laughs) put my guitar away. People are like, oh, that must have been your calling. They use that word. And I'm always like, no, (laughs) it just was what I was doing. It just was so clear to me when she got the news. I just broke a contract to a gig I was headed to in the Middle East and unpacked my bags, repacked them, and was on a train home to Pennsylvania. There was was no decision being made.
0: Right. You know, we don't choose these losses, right? And we don't don't choose the timing of the circumstances or any of that. And, you know, I was flying home from a work trip and uh, Marina was taking our surviving daughter, Nessie, taking her to a swimming lesson. And it was one of those things where people ask, like, how do you even get through that? And Mm. I said, you know, Marina was, Marina was there and Nessie was there and they needed, they needed me. You know, I think it can be easy to focus on how horrible it was that this woman we trusted to take care of our kids murdered them. And it was important that the criminal justice system did what it did and, and that she's in prison and, and will remain there. But that's not the main thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the thing that sort of the, the light bulb that went off for me was, There's this horrible like shock and and sort of fog of of that kind of traumatic loss. And and you sort of wake up the next morning and Nessie says, I'm hungry. And what choice do you have except to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find us some food and I'm gonna like take one step after another to get you to where you need to be and make sure that I'm not gonna fall apart, you know, in in the process and so i got to take care of myself and i got to make sure that we're we're trying to to be parents to be partners to each other and and you know nessie's nessie was 4 years old not even 4 actually she was still two months shy of 4
1: my zen teacher says everyone is adequate to their lives and i love that because i think that's maybe a little encapsulation of what you just said which is you do end up showing up you don't know that you will be able to. And when you're on the outside looking in, you you think, how can I do that? But when it's when you're confronted with that, whatever that is, something kicks in.
0: Right. It, 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 people, people always say, I don't know if I'd get through it. And mm. I, I think we would all get through it better than we expect, even though going through it was worse than you can imagine. I mean, it was much worse than I think most of our nightmares would, would, would think, but you don't have a choice. Like you just, yeah. you, you do what you have to do. You do have a choice though, on, you know, the next steps after that. Right. I mean, you, you, you really gave us all something very special with that Ted talk. And you know, Marina and I didn't have to start a nonprofit, which is by the way, it's its own like beast, you know, it's a whole thing and that takes on a life of its own, but you do it because you sort of, you choose that part.
1: Before we go any further, I just would like to say, I'm so sorry for your loss. I want to make sure I say that out loud. And I want to make sure I say Leo and Lulu's name out loud.
0: Thank you. It does matter to hear that, you know, I mean, it's um, the sort of hardest thing about grief, and I'm sure you relate to this, right? Is that, you know, sort of the world moves on, but that loss doesn't go away at all, right? Right. And yeah. it can feel more disorienting, more alienating over time, even though time does soften the edges of, of the grief, right? Mm-hmm. But it feels like the world's moving on and, and there's this sense of like, I don't want to forget about it. I, I, I have to wake up every morning remembering it. It is important to hear other people like acknowledge that and people have been great. In, in sort of telling me and Marina that, like, you know, Lou and Lee are not forgotten and that mm-hmm. um, that does matter a lot. Like, it does help. You know, it's been now nine and a half years. It's going to be 10 years this October. And it's hard. The world keeps going and, and and I'm proud of how we've kept going. But it is a, it's something that we'll always live with and you don't want it to fade. I think the probably the scariest part of it is is the idea that You can forget it
1: yeah life does move on and people people are busy you know our closest friends get busy with their lives and their losses and their joys and fun and adventure and struggles and it's not as in the forefront of their mind and for me it has always been a tremendous kindness when my closest friends or my partner remember you know hey this is the day your mom died I've always thought that if I ever do another TED Talk, it'll be Grief Casserole Part Two. And it will be, (laughs) um, the pro tip will be put a calendar entry onto that important day of your friends or your loved one's loss. And remember to call them up and to say the name and to insert that name into the conversation. Or my brother just got a big accolade. And I just said to him, you know, I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. And I, I so wish mom and dad could be here yeah, to celebrate this with you. Cause I know how hard you've been working on this and it shouldn't be. I'm, I'm good at this stuff. I'm good at the loss and grief stuff. And it's hard for me to remember to screw up my courage and insert their name. But I, I feel like you you have to do it because if you don't, they get lost. And we don't want them, they're a part of us, they're they're part of who we are. Who would I be without this intense grief? Obviously, we're someone else, we're someone new, and they would want us to move on and be ourselves and be our full, fully expressed selves. But it's, it's a destabilizing moment when it happens, and it's a destabilizing moment when you realize you're moving on too.
0: With your siblings, how have you been able to, have you ever found yourself out of sync with them on your grief?
1: I very much pre-grieved my mother's death because I was intimately involved with all aspects of her care. And when she was diagnosed in 2011, a CAT scan showed that she had a tumor the size of a grapefruit in her abdomen. And the doctor basically wanted to operate right away. And I was in the hospital room after the operation and finally a day later when he came in to, to say what the results of the biopsy were, and it was just her and I, and luckily, and uh and he gave the news that it was a very rare and aggressive form of cancer that was already pretty far along. I looked at her after he left and I just said, you know, we're not gonna mince words about this. This is gonna kill you, whether it kills you today, tomorrow. Seven months from now, seven years from now, 77 years from now, you know, like it's going to be the thing. And so let's not mince words. And luckily for me, and I do realize now that I was so fortunate, my mom really rose to the occasion and met me there. Subsequently, as I've gone on and shared more about death and being ready to die and all those things with people, I realize that's not always the case, that, you know, people get these kinds of diagnoses and don't want to rise to the occasion. And that's fine. You know, it's just, I realized that I was very lucky. But so I had many years to prepare myself and her. I mean, that's pretty much what my job was, was to maximize her care and to get her ready to die. So I I was very much ready for her to die. And I will say (laughs) that when it came along, I was the most surprised. And to your question of what was I out of sync with my brothers or my father, very much so. And it was an exercise in letting people have their experience because I could see their grief and their, their pace at which they were going to grieve was so different than mine. And of course, I didn't want them to suffer as much as I knew they would end up suffering. Everyone's journey is their journey all I could do was listen, which is all we can ever do really. And show up.
0: Yeah. First thing Marina said to me when I, I, so like the, I got pulled off the plane by the NYPD and they drove me to the hospital where Marina and Nessie were and they weren't physically hurt, but it was just sort of, that's where they take you apparently after, you know, this sort of thing happens. And, um, and we got a chance to see Lulu and Leo, you know, um, one last time, but, you know, there's this moment where I, 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 it's hard to even describe, but Maria said to me, like, she grabbed me and said, Kevin, like, we're, we're, we're going to get through this. We're not going to get divorced. Oprah says that most couples who lose kids get divorced. Oprah says, (laughs) and I, you know, you can sort of, it is funny, right. That like Oprah was so important in this (laughs) sort of like Oprah was the authority in all of this, but like, you know, Oprah says that, that, most couples get divorced and we're not going to be one of those. Wow. And, and, and that is, I think really the most, that was the most important ingredient. But then I learned that like the next most important ingredient was like being really patient. We're all in such different places in our heads and hearts. And we do grieve on really different cycles and, you know, it's respect for that. Right. I mean, that's what you're saying. yeah. Yeah. And, you know, now we look back on it and we, I think we're proud of, you know, the work and effort we put into our marriage and our partnership. Yeah. Because it is, it's so hard to keep the relationships in the same place when they're changing. They're being changed by this loss. And it's the love, right? At the end of the day for our, our family and friends. That's what keeps those bonds together when they're being changed by the the sheer loss that we've gone through.
1: Yeah. I'd love to hear the origins story of choose creativity. Was that was that like right this is what we're going to do and that in a way is like a lifeline to you on the other side of it
0: it was the answer to those questions of like how are we getting through this and
1: mm-hmm.
0: and feeling like we we owed it to ourselves and to others to to try to give it a good answer right but yeah at first it was um it was not that immediate for us part of that was um marina had sort of written a blog about this is back in the blogging days, Yeah, yeah. you know, that I know you and I lived through.
1: Yeah. We lived through those people. Yeah, we did. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so she had written this blog about their lives. And it was a lot of photos and just a lot of fun, little just anecdotes Mm. about raising Lulu and then Nessie and then Leo and moving from San Francisco to New York and just all of that. And so there was, I think, a lot of people who felt like they they knew Lulu and Leo mm. and were part of their lives in a way that I think is kind of a modern thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and so there was this outpouring of people wanting to give money to a memorial for, right. for Lulu and Leo. And it was Harvard Friends who helped set up the fund. I, I was like almost useless. All right. And there are whole weeks that I think are barely accounted for in my foggy memory of it all. Yeah. Like walking from this hotel we were holed up in. Cause the press was really trying to get at us and our home was this literally a crime scene. And yeah. And, and so, you know, we were there ensconced in this hotel and, and like, at some point it was like, we got to set up a bank account. So all these donations can go somewhere. I think my main contribution was to call it the Lulu and Leo fund. And, and like, I had to write some, Single sentence like mission statement so that they could file, like, you know, a 40501c3, whatever. It's probably like 12 to 18 months of trying to figure it out. And Marina gets 90 plus percent of the credit for putting into words what we were like doing. And I think in particular, for Marina, it was so important to get those words right and to express herself that way. And
1: you're, by the words, you're meaning the 10 principles These of 10 creativity. These 10 principles of
0: creativity, yeah. Thank which you are
1: me. amazing. I wrote them down because they're incredible. Authentic, resourceful, curious, unconventional. I loved that one. Patient, expressive, intuitive, present. Another one I love. Inventive, inspired.
0: Yep. And again, Marina gets like almost all the credit and, you know, we would have these long, long talks about some of those words and there is magic in all of that. Obviously Mm -hmm. you can't put it into words, but what you can do is you can practice it. You can hone those things and you can support those principles Mm -hmm. so that you're more prepared for what life throws at you. And it's not just the negative. There's not just about, it's not just some prophylactic, you know, thing that, that, (laughs) you know, protects you from trauma but it's also <laughs> it's about seeing like those possibilities in every moment and that that was our that's our like largely our taglines
1: no and, I, and I, I I laughed when you said that like it's not just some prophylactic because to me like and it might seem weird that I did but I always feel like when you've had these kinds of experiences you know it's so easy to just stay in the like Yes. And this is how we responded to this grief and loss, but it's like, oh yeah, life is all these other things too. Right. It's absurd. It's hilarious. It's joyful. It's just ongoing. It's boring. It's like, yeah, I I laugh because yeah, it's like, it's not like we're just saying all these things or we're doing all these things. So in the hopes that we don't have to deal with them ever again, like they also apply to all the rest of life too.
0: Right. Absolutely. And and there's so many great examples of that. I mean, but that to use those words is to be more aware of them happening in your daily life. And, yeah. you know, I mean, we, we use them as positive, like praise with the kids. We, I use them at work a lot.
1: They're values, right? They're Their really, values. Yeah, they are
0: values and people mm-hmm. respond so well and kids respond so well to them. And it's honestly, it's largely in an educational sense. It's about trying to help keep those qualities, those principles in the kids and and try to stop the system and the adults from crushing them. <laughs> I mean totally. Right. To, you know, I mean that is that is a huge part of it.
1: Yeah. Obviously that was an organic process and as you said, authentic. And I decided to do the TED talk because I felt like the constant I heard, you know, was I didn't want to bother you. I thought you were going through so much. I didn't want to, I didn't know what to say. Yeah. I don't want to bother you. I knew there was so much love there for me and so much wanting to help. And maybe this is a way that our experiences kind of differed, but yeah, people were much more, res- in their terms, respectful. They didn't want to intrude upon this sort of long drawn out death. <laughs> was that an experience for you or was it so shocking that people just are moved to act right away?
0: Yeah. I do think that that was different. It was such a such an, like, off the charts, like, shocking thing that also was so widely publicized that right. there was a massive outpouring of of love and support. And it was, um, I felt like it was always very authentic. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it was, yeah. it was real. And so I, I think that was different. And now it's, but it, then it changed, right? Where you could also sense people after a certain, relatively short period of time, not knowing what they should do. Mm-hmm there's this sense of, is it, is it, you know, now is it not, not okay to bring it up? Am I going to be like interrupting and and, and throwing something terrible into, into this interaction? And, right. And then there's that awkwardness on on our side where we're thinking, okay, there, I can sense that they're probably wanting to bring it up, but they don't know, you know? And so, you know, there's <laughs> right. that just, yeah there is that, that, that problem. And, and, um, it still is, it's, you know, I mean, we went for like, I don't know, what has it been like over two years of not having like any dinner parties or anything. We had some sort of, you know, new friends. And I mean, we're at the point where we're like, oh, we actually are making some new friends, you know, how, how, how nice and refreshing after, you know, all this time. And, and Marina, and I, I think we're just so sort of busy getting ready to have them over that we didn't talk about it ahead of time. And then suddenly I think it dawned on us in the middle of dinner and there's some wine and you know, all that. They don't know. And then Marina just burst into tears. <laughs> and I mean, really out of like kind of total non sequitur, just told them and she was, I think a little embarrassed afterwards. And I was trying to tell her, don't be embarrassed.
2: Yeah. of course. You know,
0: and they were, I think totally fine, but it is still an awkward, weird moment where you're, you're not sure what's appropriate, so I do very wholeheartedly endorse your your coaching that just just bring it up and and say the names yeah. and acknowledge it because it, it's a relief.
1: It is a relief to everyone, actually. You, them, everybody. So so even today, what do what do you answer when some someone says how many? Yeah, kids how many do you kids?
0: Have? Yeah, I mean that's the, the question that
1: yeah
0: <laughs> you know. And and I honestly, if we're, we're making a calculation on is this going to be like a passing acquaintance or is this somebody we want yes. to have a real relationship with? Because if it's a real relationship you should bring, you know, you should just tell them. And that's the, Yeah. that was totally. the takeaway from our dinner party, dinner you, know, party. Uh, yeah. you know, sort of uh lesson was that just, just bring it up as directly as possible as soon as possible. And and if it's somebody who you think is going to be just sort of a passing, it's sometimes I do. And I, I I'll tell you it, there's a part of me, like my stomach churns a little bit at this, but I just say I have three instead of five. Yeah. You know, and cause it's just not.
1: Yeah, of course. Cause
0: I, there was I mean, a couple times where I brought it up with people and I was like, Ugh, I kind of wish I hadn't, you know, and there, there, there are those moments.
1: Yeah. I think you have to be respectful of your own heart too. Right. And tender towards your own heart. And I mean, yes, it's part of you and it informs your entire worldview and how you see the world and how you be in the world, but it also isn't. right. We're always choosing, if we're honest, we're always choosing what self to share.
0: Absolutely. I love the way you put that. And on this idea of how it changed us, I wanted to ask you, like, did you have that moment where you felt a little after your mom died and you'd been through this journey with her for five years almost, right?
1: hmm mm-hmm.
0: Was there a part where you felt like you're like uh, returning to civilian life?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, my mom was my mom. So she's, everybody dies. This is a fact of life. So it's an... In- it wasn't out of the realm of possibility. And I had had a lot of other loss in my life prior to my mom dying. So I wasn't a person who was sort of confronted with the first loss of their life. And I will say that I'm sort of on the front edge of people of my age losing their parents, either a parent or both parents. So I had gone from being a person who had a pretty incredible career doing what I loved, you know, creating, writing songs, touring, et cetera, et cetera, to being a person who cooked meals, <laughs> um, grocery shopped, uh, you know, lived this life that was not my life. I mean, it was a totally foreign life, and and I just kept saying to my partner Leah, "I I don't recognize myself. I do not know who I am." And this is in the midst of my mom being right. alive, you know, and taking care of her. But my days were going to to the chemo suite, going to radiation. You know, trying to get her to eat something, etc. Um, and it took me a really long time to yeah, get back to my civilian life. And my dad was, by the way, around. Like I had my parents were married. This was some some I need to always remember to say that because people are it sounds like my dad wasn't around, but he was. He was just an old school dad. He wasn't the guy who was gonna, you know, figure out a chemo regime and how to, like, make it work, you know. So I was, I was smart enough to give myself the grace to, to hang around home and help him get the ship upright, <laughs> drain all the water out of it, and get put the sails back on and get the ship of his life sailing forward. Right, And, you know, I was doing that for him, and I was also doing it for myself as a sort of slow transition back to, life as i knew it or whatever it was going to be it wasn't even it's sort of like post pandemic it's like we're not going back to an old the way it was there's no way it was anymore my life is radically changed i think for me and probably i would imagine for you i knew that i would be writing a record about this and i had gotten the chance to go start writing that music. My mom went into her first big remission, and I was lucky enough to apply and get accepted to this incredible place called the U Cross Foundation, which is an artist residency program. You know, I had this little taste of like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take these ideas that I have and I'm going to turn them into this record that talks about loss and grief and hopefully opens up the conversation about it. But I, I can't do that until, you know, until I see this through. For me, it was about six months after my mom died.
0: One of the things that we were trying to always answer with choose creativity is that sense of how do you turn this loss, which is fundamentally destructive, right? I mean, any loss is, is destructive. And yeah, what do you do in response to that? I think creativity that that is what you know you do in response. That's the antithesis of of that destructive violence and loss. And, and that's been at the heart of it. And Marina is a teacher. And so she naturally wanted to turn this into something that is teachable. And I just really felt like it was, it was important to give back after we got so much love and support from so many people, mm. people around the world, but New Yorkers and, and all of our friends from Harvard and from our lives back in California and whatnot, they, like, everyone was so good to us. And there is that sense of like, what's the least we could do, but to share some of these things that we've learned. And I think that's been what has motivated us. And my favorite parts are when I get to go and talk to some of the teachers or kids that we're working with. There are these schools that are dedicated to kids going through the criminal justice systems. We've done Choose Creativity's curriculum in some of those schools, and I've gone and talked to some of these kids. And that's that's really been special because it's turning this horrible loss that we have into something that's, you know, hopefully like transformative so that we don't have more of those kind of violent moments or at least we have fewer of them. And, and mm-hmm. so that's been sort of the genesis of it, but also the legacy that I'm I'm super proud of with Choose Creativity and the Lululemonia Fund. And I just think it's really important to try to find that constructive moment in these terrible, Losses. The night the kids were killed, and like there were so many of my, my college roommates and our good friends who were surrounding us. They put us in this hotel because they wanted us to be sort of safe from the press. Yeah. Who we're, were like really staking out everything. And, mm-hmm. and it turns out that the, the best place to put us was the Trump International Hotel yeah. on Columbus Circle because that's a very small lobby, as they explained to me. And there's a private entrance underground and the head of security there was like a former colleague of the NYPD who were taking care of us. And I, we were super grateful for that. And, and my work colleagues, like they paid for it. We didn't pay for a thing. It was just a crazy. Right. But as a coincidence, the Celebrity Apprentice All-Stars were shooting around the same time and they were all staying at the same hotel. And so at one point I needed to go from one floor to the other to see my, my parents and sisters who were on a different floor. And there I am riding the elevator like in shell shock. Right. I mean, just like amazed I could press the button and, you know, right. it's like, and, and I'm sitting there with Brett Michaels and Omarosa <laughs> in the elevator, the three of us. And I, I, you know, sort of look over and I'm, and then I look back down at my feet and just sort of, and, and he says, see you later, man. You know, like something like that is like, he says that to me. And then I, I just couldn't, I couldn't help but laughing in the hallway of, you know, totally. at the just sheer absurdity of like, of my life at that point, you know, and yeah. it was, and then you'd get a water bottle and it'd have Trump's face on it. You know, like <laughs> yeah. what, it what is going on? You know? And then four days after the kids were killed, like hurricane Sandy hits the city and there's a crane like dangling oh. over Central Park and, you yeah. know, and it was like
1: Armageddon, like yeah. Yeah, apocalyptic.
0: And, yeah. And you realize, you know, there's all these people. There's, you know, there were police officers who were working on the case and their homes were like wrecked and you know, and yeah. flooded. And and you just sort of had to like step back and really see the totality of just how crazy it all was and the world is. And yeah, you know, and and it is a it's that that perspective to be able to see. As much as the, the trauma can be and the loss can be um alienating, I mean, it is so valuable to stay in the world and see it for what it is and mm-hmm. good and the bad and all that the absurdity, the the funny and the terrible.
1: It's probably the thing that made me feel ok when the idea of us having this conversation <laughs> came up, you know, because I, I had this idea that like my loss and your loss aren't commensurate.
0: Right. No, and I think each loss is is its own. And there's none that are worse or, or better. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know. Mm-hmm. The source of the empathy, I think, is the universality of of that human experience of loss. For me, it was incredibly comforting to read about how other people had had handled these things. And so there was a lot of really, really good books to read. But it was also just so interesting to hear about suffering. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds... Strange, but I mean, I I enjoyed reading about books about people surviving war and famine and and you know these horrific things because I felt like oh okay I can now put myself in some like context. context where yeah. you know people get through this and I can too. That sort of you know there was a, it was a there was a weird way I sort of needed to dig into it.
1: Yeah, I, I don't find it weird. I find it like to me it strikes me as you know you were looking for the. For the thread that connected your seemingly unexplainable experience, or so cognitively disrupting experience, with others who've had something similar, yeah. Do you think that your experience, you you and your family's experience, has allowed you to be more comfortable with other people's suffering?
0: I think for better, not you know the, that phrase for better or worse. No, I think it's purely for better. People turn to me and, and say, Hey, Kevin, I have a friend or, or a family member or a colleague who's lost a child recently. And, and, you know, I think it'd be good if they could talk to you. And, and I say, yes, always. There are definitely times where that is like, it is a lot right to go yeah. through, but it also, I'm willing to do that because people did it for me. I mean, it was part mm. of it and I do it because you know, there's probably a few things that might help. And like, if I can help, that's going to make me feel just a little bit better, you know, at the end of the day. and But uh, is it a comfort? Yeah, it's really interesting. I I think I was probably really uncomfortable with this sort of thing before I went through it. I think a lot of us are, right? I mean, I think that they don't want to think about the possibility that like bad things happen to normal people. hmm there's a part of our society that has conditioned people to not really want to look at the dark corners.
1: Yeah, it's um but there's there's more of a wave now towards that than there was yeah. when you and I were going through what we were going through. I guess now I do feel that this that talking about death and opening up at least opening up the space of the conversation is a calling for me because of my experience and what I went through and and just life keeps handing me these situations and being okay to be in them and being okay to say I'm uncomfortable being, being in this situation, but here I am. I do think we've come a long way since your experience and since my experience.
0: Yeah, Marina and I very deliberately, um, make it casual and an everyday thing to talk about Lulu and Leo with Felix and Linus
1: your new children. I mean, not new anymore.
0: Yeah. And it makes us feel so good that they're part of their lives. They're up in the stars. It feels so good for them to feel comfortable about it. It it sort of pays off over time that you know that you're building this safe place to keep their memories very alive, very present. Mm
2: -hmm. And as
0: much as I miss Lulu and Leo all the time, I look at Felix and Linus and Nessie and they're here all the time.
2: Thank you.